Former something or other Colin Kaepernick has been awarded the Amnesty International Ambassador of Conscious Award for disrespecting the American flag and saying things that aren't true about the police. The unemployed Mr. Humperdinck accepted the award with a speech saying, quote, racialized oppression and dehumanization is woven into the very fabric of our nation, the effects of which can be seen in the lawful lynching of black and brown people by the police and the mass incarceration of black and brown lives in the prison industrial complex. When asked what he meant by that, the former Mr. Heffalump said he was referring to the fact that violent thugs get shot when they attack police officers and that the imprisonment of such thugs has led to the murder rate dropping 48 percent since 1980, thus saving many black lives. Mr. whoop de doop then dropped the award, which was recovered by San Francisco quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo, who ran with it for a touchdown. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, tipsy-topsy, the zippity-zing. It's a wonderful day, hooray, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray. Oh, hooray, hooray. All right, the this weekend is over Stay at last. true, by the way. Well, uh, it's your 500th episode. Is it really? <laughs> That's, wow. <laughs> it seems like only Thursday we were doing the 499th episode. <laughs> I'm impressed. I had I had lost count, but that is that is impressive that we have been here this long. It almost it almost came to an end on Friday. That's absolutely true. I was sitting at my desk. I have two desks. I have one out in a little workhouse I have outside, and I have one upstairs in a loft room. I'm sitting at my desk, and the desk lamp exploded. And when I say, you know, usually a, a light bulb will implode because they have you know they have no air, so they go inward, and you'll hear that kind of fuck. This thing exploded. It went like bang, like a bullet. And all the glass just shot out. And there were two bulbs in it, one facing me and one facing the opposite direction. Luckily, it was the one in the opposite direction. or It surely would have taken out my eye. And uh, <laughs> my, my, son, my son said to me, so what, what is God telling you, you know, in this? What is the par- this a parable for? And I said, well, clearly I'm, you know, rereading Plato's Republic. So this is telling me that the prophet, after he sees the light of God, the true good has to come back to the people and re-enter the darkness. So here I am <laughs> back among you in the dark. <laughs> it. <Yeah. laughs> it was uh, it was it was quite unnerving, though I will say that. All right, you know we're not allowed to uh, sell drugs here. Uh, you know it's like we're a Christian you know base. We have Christian funding, and we don't want to sell you drugs. So instead, we sell Texture because <laughs> Texture is the most addictive app we can possibly give you that will keep you healthy even so. A Texture is an app that offers over 200 of the top magazines all in one place. With Texture, you get complete issues and back issues for titles like Wired, The Atlantic, The New Yorker. It's all together, ESPN, whatever. If you want something lighter, you can get People, Cosmo, Entertainment Weekly, and it delivers the best of both worlds which with newsworthy stories and relaxing entertainment anytime, anywhere. I use it. It is it just the minute you start reading it, it's kind of like four hours of your life Vanish because magazines are really entertaining. It's where a lot of the good journalism gets done. That's where you find quality journalism, beautiful photos, in-depth interviews, and perspectives that show you all sides of the story. You can search it. You can find whatever you're looking for. Texture is usually $9.99 a month. 
but they're giving my listeners a free trial to start your seven-day free trial. Go to texture.com slash Clavin. And I know what you're saying. How do you spell texture? It's K-L-A-V-A-N, or maybe that's Clavin. I'm not sure. It's texture.com slash Clavin, and you can start reading the latest issues of your favorite magazines today. Texture.com slash Clavin, a free seven-day trial. All right. So, you know, listening to that Colin Kaepernick, Kaepernick, Kaepernick thing, you know, what I was thinking is catchphrases make us stupid. You use these catchphrases, you know, like mass incarceration and, uh, you know, uh, the prison industrial complex, and they sound important, but they actually make us dumb. You know, back in the 80s, we had a crack epidemic in this country and people were slaughtering each other in the streets. You could not walk outside in New York uh, without risking getting your head blown off. They came up with this scientific way of policing neighborhoods called Comstat. They used it brilliantly. It resulted in a lot of arrests of a lot of bad guys, this zero tolerance policy where you say we're going to get rid of the minor crimes because minor crimes create neighborhoods in which major crimes take place. And a lot of people got incarcerated and the murder rate dropped 48%. Now that is a lot of lives that got saved since the 80s, which is now almost 40 years ago, right? So that's, a you know, when you have a murder rate dropping by half, essentially over 40 years, you're going to save a lot of black lives. So if you said to me, if you said to me, you know, that was great. We solved that problem. But imprisoning people is a blunt instrument. It takes men away from their families. It takes men out of the the neighborhood. Maybe we can find some other ways of doing this. Then we would have a discussion going on. But when you talk about mass incarceration, which sounds like the police just swept down and arrested people because of the color of their skin, which is absolute baloney. It's not a little baloney. It's absolute baloney. You can have those words come out and you sound important and you sound impressive, especially when they're giving you some idiotic award for doing something you shouldn't have done in the first place. But you're being stupid and you're making yourself stupid and you're selling stupidity. The same thing goes for uh, transgender people. If you said to me, oh, you know, masculine and feminine traits are distributed in such a way that men have more masculine traits and women have more feminine traits. But every now and again, you get somebody who's on the other side of that spectrum and it's uncomfortable and it's unpleasant and they get bullied and it's unhappy. Maybe there's something we can do about that. You know, I think that's a conversation that anybody would be willing to have. Any person of goodwill would be willing to have. But when you come along and you say, well, some women have penises, then the first thing you think is no, absolutely no, zero number of women have penises. You know, that, that is the definition of not being a woman. And so, you know, you, you can't have a conversation. If you say to me, some Chicago Paul who happened to get himself installed in the White House can tell me in you know Nashville who goes into the men's bathroom in my elementary school, then I say, no, you know, I'm not going to have that conversation with you. It's the way language makes you stupid. So I was watching, you know, this weekend. I mean, the, the president had a really good weekend. And I was watching the thing as, as information starts coming out about what really happened during this Russian collusion investigation. I started to think, you know, the deep state is another one of these catchphrases that can make you stupid because you think of the deep state, you think of Alex Jones with his crazy conspiracy theories. You think of like Pizzagate, this nonsense that people come up with. Yeah, I I always, what I always think of when I hear deep state is there's always a scene in every spy movie where two guys in ties meet on a bench in the, on the Washington mall. I don't even know if there are benches in the Washington mall, but they have, they, they install them just for these conversations and they, they kind of talk in coded language, and the next scene, somebody's trying to commit an assassination. The, the, our government is committing assassinations. And so that's, you know, that's not the deep state. The deep state is people. The deep state is people with positions of power who misuse that power or who use it in such a way who become so puffed up with themselves that 
they start to think that their their decisions about who should be in office should trump, as it were, the, the will of the people. And I think that that is something that happened. When I look at the people who are most attacking Donald Trump for his personality, and we've talked about his personality here a million times, I won't go into it again, but but the people who are really saying things like he's morally unfit to be president or this guy is a, it's a cacosocracy, you know, a, a government of evil. Guys like former CIA director James Brennan and former National Intelligence uh, Director James Clapper and James Comey of the FBI. And you notice they're all named James. I think that that's a, a, a tell to a conspiracy right there. All those guys were the ones who were most deeply involved in creating this impression that the Russians somehow had something to do with the uh, outcome of the election, which really turns out not to have been true. I mean, all the people, if you put all the people who have been indicted for this together, I don't think you're talking about a single vote that got changed. Now, let's just flash back to a moment for a moment to Hillary Clinton. Remember when Trump said he wasn't sure he would wait and see whether he would accept the results of the of the election. And remember the horror, the absolute horror that went through the mainstream media about, oh my God, he is undermining our very trust, our very trust in our you know, electoral system. And remember Hillary Clinton, Lester Holt asked the question of Hillary Clinton, and here was her pompous, self-righteous reply. Are you willing to accept the outcome as the will of the voters, Secretary Clinton? Well, I support our democracy. And uh, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. Uh, but I uh, certainly uh, will support the outcome of this election. Uh, and I know Donald's trying very hard to plant doubts about it. But I hope the people out there understand this election's really up to you. It's not about us so much as it is about you and your families and the kind of country and future you want. So I sure hope you will get out and vote as though your future depended on it because I think it does. So now, of course, that that forget that, forget we cancel that. Can't we? We're going to cancel the trust in our electoral system and completely make up this thing, which now really does seem like it was it was guys like Clapper and Brennan and Comey covering up the fact that they did stuff they shouldn't have done while during the election. And after the election, when they were trying to delegitimize uh, Trump, you know, Devin Nunez or Nunez or Nunez or Nunez, I, who, who knows what the hell the guy's name is. But the guy who was on the, the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, Devin Nunez, Nunez, Devin Nunes, we'll just call him from now. He, he came out and he said this. He said, we've now seen how this thing got started and there was nothing that got it started. In other words, it was just sort of started out of thin air. This is uh, cut number two. Now, this is really important to us because a counterintelligence investigation uses the tools of our intelligence services that are not supposed to be used on American citizens. We've long wanted to know, well, what intelligence did you have? Uh, that actually led to this investigation. What we found now, after the investigators had reviewed it, is that, in fact, there was no intelligence. Now, to hear that there's no intelligence in our government is not going to strike anybody as a surprise, but there was no intelligence to, to launch 
an investigation into an American presidential campaign. So, right, they, they were essentially tapping the Trump campaign with no intelligence to back them up. That's what Devin Nunes is, is saying here. And that, that, that's an amazing thing. So who knows about that? Well, one guy who knows about it is Andrew McCabe. And Andrew McCabe, the, inter, the inspector general, has just referred Andrew McCabe to possible criminal prosecution for his dishonesty about the leaks that he gave to the Wall Street Journal. So you start to think, well, is, is McCabe going to start to talk about this? This is something that could really be happening. And then finally, after a year, a year of trying to get these memos, the James Comey memos. Remember, James Comey, he never did this with Barack Obama. But when, when Trump took office, he started to take notes about his um, about his meetings with Trump, some of which he then leaked in order to spur this special counsel investigation. So that, again, is a, a movement by a law officer to spark a special counsel investigation by leaking what might have been classified information, certainly before they, Congress could get to look at these memos. But now the memos say, and some of this is coming from uh, Molly Hemingway, who is indeed a Trump partisan, but she's also incredibly smart and incisive and sees these things in a very clear way and also sees Trump in a very clear way, even though she supports him. She's writing over, obviously, at The Federalist. But she points out that, that in these memos of these records of these meetings that Comey had, it was... The director of uh, former director of national intelligence, James Clapper, who is now a CNN national security analyst, right, and a very big anti-Trumper, Clapper sent Comey in. According to these memos, Clapper sent Comey in to brief Trump on this steel dossier about the urinating Russian prostitutes, which I think should be a rock band, right? Urinating <laughs> Russian prostitutes, it sounds like something. Never mind, I'm sorry. That, just, just my mind strayed there for a minute. But all right, so he goes in, and he, briefs, he briefs Trump on this, and he says, you know, CNN is looking for a news hook. They have this, and they're looking for a news hook to put this out there, right? And then suddenly, like the next day, this is a small meeting, CNN has the news hook. What's the news hook? The news hook is that Comey briefed Trump on the dossier at Clapper's insistence. And Clapper now is a CNN testament. You know, one of the things that the House Intelligence Committee, Devin Noon's uh, committee, found out was that the for this is from their records, is the former director of national intelligence, James Clapper, now a CNN national security analyst, provided inconsistent testimony to the committee about his contacts with the media, including CNN. So what, what Molly is saying is this was a setup. That, that Clapper sent, maybe Comey didn't know it was happening, but Clapper sent Comey in there to give his pals at CNN a reason to report this story, which is what people have been saying. So now, I mean, this stuff is all unraveling. It's pretty obvious. It's pretty obvious that Donald Trump was not on the phone, it seems to me. I mean, I would be, I, look, you can always find out new information. Robert Mueller may come up with new information. But as of this moment, the, the idea that Donald Trump was on the phone to Putin, you know, and Putin is saying, I will get you elected. And, and this mattered to anybody that we cared that they were taking out $100,000 worth of ads on Facebook, you know, that that really, you know, skewed the election one way or the other. I mean, what skewed the election was Hillary Clinton was a dishonest awful candidate. And she didn't go in and campaign in the places where the deplorables were because she deplored them. That's what cost her the election. So so now to, just to keep this narrative alive as it's slipping away, 
the DNC is now suing, right? It is suing here. They're suing the Trump campaign, Russia, WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange and others alleging a wide reaching conspiracy intended to interfere with the 2016 presidential campaign. And Trump tweeted out, he said, this is funny. The Democrats have sued the Republicans for winning, which is essentially right. They're suing, saying this whole campaign was a fraud. They never would have lost if it hadn't been for all these people together. Here is Tom Perez of the DNC telling why why they filed the suit. Number one. In order to file a civil suit, you got to make sure you're filing it within the applicable statute of limitations. I don't know when Director Mueller's investigation is going to end, so we need to file now to protect our rights. Number two, we've done our job. We've done our homework. Over the course of the last year, we have seen story after story, uh, brick after brick, in the conspiracy between the Russians and the Trump campaign to affect the outcome of the election. I did my homework. We have a strong case. That's why we brought it. Are and you concerned, three, George? We have to we have to deter misconduct. We've got elections coming up in November. It's hard to win elections when you have interference in elections, and they've done it with impunity. And I'm concerned that it's going to happen again. So that's why we did it now. Yeah, I'm buying that. Nah, I'm not buying. That. Here's I I have to say, if you just compare these two quotes and see which one is more believable. I'm going with the quote from Devis, Den, Devin Nuns or Nunes or Nina. What is the man? What? How the hell do you pronounce? Uh, Devin, Devin Nunes had this, had this response. My first thought is, is that it's this some kind of joke? This must be a joke. I mean, we, we know who colluded with Russians. They don't want to admit that they colluded with Russians. But they hired Fusion. G- they hired a law firm that hired Fusion GPS that hired a British spy that went and colluded with Russians. So I don't understand why they just didn't open up a lawsuit against themselves. They should name themselves and sue themselves so that they can get to the bottom of what do they have on their servers? Uh, why didn't they give those servers to the FBI? Uh, this is this is nothing more, nothing less than a continuation of of fundraising off of this scandal. This is made to play to the far left in this country so that the far left will continue to write checks because they don't believe that President Trump won the election fair and square. Because the media, most of the media in this country has continued this narrative that there was collusion, there was obstruction, that Trump was somehow involved with Putin and Putin helped to steal this election. We've now looked at all this. None of that is true. Uh, But the Democrats need a way to keep their base motivated to turn out in November and they need a way to continue to raise money. And they're raising millions and millions and millions of dollars to target Republicans over this Russia fiasco. You know, when I say the deep state is people, what I mean is it doesn't mean that, you know, that Clapper and Comey met on a bench in the mall and said, you know, what we're going to do, we're going to send you in and we're going to get this dossier out to this and I'll leak it to CNN. It just means that people start to think that they're more important than the system. They start to think that their morality rises above the Constitution. They start to think that their vision of where the country should go is more important than the people's vision. They start to look at voting as an inconvenience. They start to look at you as an deployment horrible inconvenience. That's all that means. That's all it means. And the press and and Nunez or Nanas or Nunu is right about this, that, that the press is complicit because the press is part of the status quo. The press is always going to be essentially in favor of the, the left wing status quo. They think that is the way things should be. And that if the government, if you got eight years of Obama in power, they do not want to see that change. And they were so sure it wasn't going to change. And they're now discussing 
what do we do? What do we do? You know, the, the New York Times has a piece by the fusion people, the guys who did the Steele dossier, right? Uh, they, you know, Glenn Simpson and Peter Fritch. And they have a piece saying, okay, put aside Russian collusion for a moment. P- press pause on possible presidential obstruction of justice. Forget Stormy Daniels. The most significant recent development involving the president may be that the special counsel Robert Mueller has subpoenaed Trump organization business record. So it's like whatever by whatever means necessary, we are going to get that guy. All right, we tried Stormy Daniels. We tried Russian collusion. We tried obstruction of justice. It's all fallen apart. But now, now we've raided Michael Cohn and we're going to get at his business records and we're going to get this, this sort of thing that somewhere along the line, there must be some kind of thing that we can get him on. It's that is the deep state. That is the deep state at work. When you have an elected president and they're going through every single thing he ever did, trying to find something, something that they can undermine him with. That is a deep state, essentially. And, and, you know, the press, the press themselves, as you watch them, they're starting to discuss because because Trump really did have a good weekend. I mean, the South, the North Koreans said we're going to stop testing uh, nuclear weapons and we're going to close one of our nuclear sites. Now, look, do, do I think that that is some great concession? Or are they, uh, you know, basically trying to draw draw Trump into something as they did with Clinton? Who knows? I mean, it's not like we're going to suddenly start to uh, trust Kim Jong-un, but it was good news for Trump and it made him look good. And they, you know, Chuck Todd was saying like, well, he's given them too much. You know, what did he give him? Well, you agreed to meet him. That's not really giving him that much. You know, it's like, you know, so it's like they're they're feeling bad. But, But listen, I want you to listen to the press now discussing what they did wrong how they could have covered the elections so that Hillary would have won. Was it their fault? Not whether they should hire some Republicans, not whether they should hire some Trump, have some Trump supporters uh, on their editorial desks, but how can we be more biased so that this doesn't happen again? They had this, this woman, Amy Chozik from the New York Times, has got a book coming out. It's called Chasing Hillary. And it, first of all, it talks about the fact that all of Hillary, the males, in Hillary Clinton's entourage were grabbing the women and saying these sexist things. And nobody said a word about that. Nobody said Hillary Clinton's, you know, uh, campaign is rife with people grabbing women's crotches because you can get away with it when you work for Hillary. The women will let you do that, you know, when you work for Hillary, they'll let you grab them. But but she never told this. But now she talks about the fact that she tried, how hard she tried to get a sympathetic piece about Hillary Clinton into the New York Times, and she got wrong-footed by Comey announcing that he was reopening the investigation. And listen to the, the, the kind of blindness with which she talks about this. It was very difficult during that campaign to get any other stories to break through. And in fairness, we covered all of her policies. I tried to write very kind of sympathetic biographical features. The perfect example is I wrote this feature, sympathetic biographical feature about her moving to Arkansas and this feminist mentor Mm -hmm. of hers trying to talk her out of it. Uh, I spent a year on the story. The campaign didn't want it. It was a great story for her. It posted three hours before Comey sent his letter to Congress. Uh It didn't even make the paper. So it's impossible to get anything to break through. Right, but but the question there is, are you writing to make something breakthrough or are you writing what you think the news is and that that is a question that I think we all have and, to and, ask going into the next and I think election. that's a big guy Amy Chuck's face goes blank. And that, the woman asking that, I think her name is Stephanie Cutter. She's a she's a Democrat operative, you know, but she was just saying, why, why are you writing stories to break through? Why aren't you just covering the news? And, and Chazik, it looks like the question came out of left field. And then George Stephanopoulos essentially says, he come, says, you know, we, we made everybody look the same. Now, remember, this is a Hillary Clinton operative. This is a, a Clinton campaigner. You know, they're, everybody's picking on Sean Hannity because he talked to Michael Cohen about real estate from time to time. But this is a Clintonista reporting the news. And what he says is, you know, 
this whole thing about being fair, you know, we got to stop that stuff. You know, it got it allowed Trump to get elected. Listen to this. You look back and say, listen, there were things done wrong with emails. There's no question about that. But there's something structurally in the media where we have to equalize everything. If you point out a wrongdoing on one side, you have to point out a wrongdoing on the other. And they automatically become equivalent. And that isn't always fair. Well, and, and I, I, I think the problem, though, might have been not enough equalization. I don't think it's the problem of how much we covered or how much the press covered the emails. How much investigative work was there done on Donald Trump, particularly during the primary? Not enough. He was portrayed more as a phenomenon, the excitement, the attacks, the latest, you know, outrageous thing he said or whatever. There wasn't much investigative reporting going, frankly, until it was it was too late. It was too late. This is this is the self-delusion. I mean, you know, everybody look, we're all biased. We're all self-deluded. But this is incredible self-delusion, the idea that they think that they were nicer to Hillary Clinton than they were to Trump. And yeah, it was Trump. Trump was a story. Trump had a way of playing the press and getting uh, lots of free press. You know, as he himself would say constantly, you know, he made their ratings go up. But the idea that they were somehow nicer to Donald Trump than they were to Hillary Clinton, that the idea that they shouldn't have covered the news about Hillary Clinton. I mean, let's put it this way. When when Hillary Clinton, when they interviewed Hillary Clinton's uh, a lawyer working with Hillary Clinton, they asked her when she would like to drop by. They asked her, you know, how, would you like to drop by? Would you like to declare that you're Hillary Clinton's lawyer so that you can't violate principle? They didn't raid her house at three in the morning like they did with Michael Cohen. And so, you know, the, the idea that somehow when I say the deep state is people, what I just mean is it's this kind of delusion. It's this kind of self-ignorance. It's this kind of bias that leads to the what has really been over a year now, over a year of a fake story that has helped, as Devin Nunes says, it has helped the uh, Democrats with their base and the press has helped them out. And that's the deep state. The deep state is just people who are ignorant and who, who do not see themselves putting themselves above the process, doing exactly what Hillary Clinton said was a horrific thing to do, to basically not accept the electoral process as it played out. All right, we have somebody named Michael Knowles. He's going to come on and talk about something called Coachella. Now, I have to be, I'm going to be absolutely honest with you. I thought until today, I thought Coachella was the name of the fairy godmother who turned Cinderella's pumpkin into a coach. I thought it was Coach Ella. That was, that was what that is. But Knowles is going to explain it all to us. We have to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube. Come on over to thedailywire.com and subscribe. Then you can watch the entire thing right there. You send us 10 bucks a month. I pocket the 10 bucks. I can afford a couple of drinks instead of I, I wouldn't dress like this anymore. Come on. Come on. It's nothing. It's nothing. Pay up. All right. We got Michael Knowles coming right up. All right, Michael Knowles. There he is. How you doing? I'm glad you survived the light bulb attack. Uh, uh, was that amazing? I have ne- seriously, I've never seen anything like I was explaining it to my wife, and you know, you say to your wife, "A light bulb almost killed me," and she's, eh, what, what, "What do you want for dinner?" You know. <laughs> you, you know what I think God was trying to tell you with the light bulb Uh-oh. attack? Let's hear it. I think he was telling you to buy a lampshade so that it doesn't explode <laughs> in your face. You know, if it wasn't for the lampshade, really, it would have taken my head off. It was like <laughs> it, it, the lampshade deflected it downward. But even so, if it had been facing me, it would have deflected it right downward onto me. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. So how was your trip? Oh, the trip was a lot of fun. I went to Mobile, Alabama, the greatest city in America. Wonderful city, yeah. It is wonderful. And uh, then I also went to Philadelphia 
a city in America. <laughs> yeah. I was there. I spoke at uh, the Wharton School of Business, also known as the University of Pennsylvania, really better known as Trump University, <laughs> President Trump's That's alma right. mater. That's right. As, as an, the Ivy Leaguer that he is, right? That's right. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and he has all the best words, folks. And I guess he learned them at Wharton. It was great. It was a lot of fun. The, I think both speeches are online. Uh, the one was on uh, the conservative movement now in Alabama. And then the other was on reasons to vote for Donald Trump. And I'm, it was really fortuitous that I gave that speech a day after Donald Trump ended the Korean War after 70 <laughs> years and, and denuclearized the peninsula. <laughs> I, know, I know. I have to say these trips, I, the, meeting these people who to me are kids, I keep calling them kids. I know they're young adults, but but meeting them, I, I think I, it's so encouraging. I mean, especially these, these are all the kids I didn't hang out with when I was a young, artistic, crazy man, you know. Uh, but they're so uh, together and intelligent. And each one of them is like a little Shapiro. With They have all these facts in their head and they know so much. And no it? feelings whatsoever. And no yeah. feelings whatsoever. Of course it, not. We don't want people with feelings. No. It is true. It, it's really cutting into our stogie time because you were gone most of last I know, week too. I know. It's, I know. But you, <laughs> and you were speaking at a Christian college. I was, which was doubly great. I mean, it was doubly great because not only are they, not only are they put together and informed, they also have the spiritual wisdom way beyond their years. Like I kept saying to them, "Don't you want to be taking drugs and you know, screwing each other <laughs> and drinking to too much?" Yeah, yeah no, they, they didn't seem to be that. Yeah. So speaking speaking of Coachella, I have to tell you, I, like I literally know nothing about Coachella. People say Coachella, and I nod knowingly. You know, like I say, "Ah, Coachella." You know, <laughs> I have no, what is it? I can explain it to you. It is a music festival that takes place over two consecutive weekends. A quarter of a million people go and they listen to terrible musicians and they do a bunch of drugs and they grope each other. Oh, that's I, that's I, Coachella in a nutshell. I had a dream like that once. Where, yeah. where, is it, is it, it's in California? It's in California. It's in the yeah. desert. Yeah. You go to the desert, you take a bunch of synthetic drugs, you see things <laughs> and you grab the copious uh, unveiled uh, body parts that are kind of milling about. Nice. This is a true, you know, the, the editor of Teen Vogue or an editor of Teen Vogue uh, said that she was at Coachella for 10 hours and was groped 22 times. And I actually, I mentioned this because look, music festivals, you just go and do a lot of drugs and have sex. That's the point of them. Okay. And so I'm, I'm I, taking your word for this. I've never <laughs> been to a music festival. <laughs> well, I asked a bunch of my friends who've been to Coachella, men and women, you know, not yeah. totally conservatives or whatever. And one of the questions that I got in response when I said, yeah, this girl was groped all the time. They said, well, what was she wearing? Well, it's Coachella. I said, you can't say that. that you're going to get accused of shaming people. Yeah, you don't, want to, you don't want to shame people for walking around with provocative clothes when everybody's on drugs. Yeah, like, why would you shame people? That? <laughs> so so who, who runs this thing? So this is one of the Amaz- I did not know this until I, because I didn't go to Coachella. I went to Couchella. I sat on my couch <laughs> and it streamed it. <laughs> so I did wonder, I said, who puts this on? Because it was a little strange. The, the thing that kind of tipped me off to this is that Eminem did a, a bit. He closed out one of the nights and, you know, Eminem has been doing all these anti-Trump songs and trying to get attention from Trump. Notice me, notice me. Notice yeah. me, please. And yeah. it's, it's made him even more washed up than he previously was. <laughs> and then at Coachella, he did 
did this big patriotic number and he said, it's, I'll, I'm paraphrasing because it was more profanity laden, right. but he said, it's so good to be back in America. I love this country. Who loves this country? Big really? American flag. And there was no irony. There was no punchline. It actually was this kind of patriotic opening. Wow. So and Eminem got woke to America. Eminem, Eminem yeah. finally got woke. <laughs> yeah. And it wasn't very political. You know, Beyonce was the big story at, uh, she was the, they called it Baychella, you know, that everyone has to pretend that she's some great talent this and her is, music is good. She, this is your sister, right? This is my the, sister. The, yeah, the other, I, the other I, Knowles. Yeah. I, I hate to, uh, you know, criticize my relatives, but I do it to Hillary so often I can do it to Queen Bay, and uh, which makes me royalty, by the way. But, uh, you know, even her bit, w- while terrible, wasn't uh, political. And I think it's because the owner of Coachella is a conservative Christian. No kidding. Oh, yeah. He's this billionaire conservative Christian. His name is Philip Anschutz. Oh, sure. He, you was, know that he guy. did Walden Media, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, he's major media empires, yeah. gives millions and millions of dollars to Republican candidates. Right. He gave $2 million in 2016 and gave, I think, a quarter of a million in 2017 just for those special elections. He is, uh, you know, gives a lot of money to pro-life and pro-gun. The guy's great, you know. And he puts on this ridiculous thing every year, uh, which is a little uh, odd to me, you know, uh, he, he owns Coachella. He owns Major League Soccer. And I, I consider this a conservative truly infecting the liberal culture. If you wanted to get in there and kind of control it, you'd go to the biggest music festival and like the worst sport. The sport. The wimpiest sport. Right. And the big, absolutely. So this is actually a plot by conservatives to take over the minds of drugged up left wingers. Yeah, that's I right. And give them all a bunch of drugs so they're more susceptible. <laughs> and uh, n- no coincidence, over the weekend, Kanye West got woke and, you know, is now a conservative Republican. I saw that. I saw that. You know, th- wait, th- but I somewhere in there, I thought I heard you say that Beyonce's act was terrible, yes. which now all, all I heard about this, and I'm telling you, like, I pay no attention to these, but... All I was, you know, you see headlines out of the corner of your eye is that she was magnificent. She was she outstripped Coachella. Coachella was her. I mean, it was just she owned it. Oh, I can tell that you've read any newspaper today. (laughs) The headlines, I I pulled a couple. The Detroit Free Press said Beyonce reigned. It was a historic moment. Uh, Elle magazine said Beyonce, so Beyonce did the same set both days. She did exactly the same set. She just changed her costumes. And Elle had to spin this in a good way. So they said Beyonce had completely new costumes, like as though that were an accomplishment of some sort. Everybody is reporting on this. You know, Beyonce, you know, in her songs, she quotes Malcolm X. She, uh, her her music is very racially charged. She wore a a hoodie with a a fake historically black college on it. It Very racially charged, which is what's getting her a lot of cultural currency, I think. Oh, 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 okay. But the music is terrible. I actually think she's a, a good singer. She you has know, a good obviously voice. A good I, singer. I, even I can hear she has a really good voice. Yeah, yeah, but the music is so dreadful. I pulled just some lyrics from songs that she sings <laughs> okay. at this thing. I'll edit out the profanity. All right. Uh, we woke up in the kitchen saying, how the heck did this stuff happen? Oh, baby, drunk in love, we be all night. We be all night and everything all right. No complaints for my body. So fluorescent under these lights. Uh, we sex again in the morning. Your breastuses is my breakfast. We going in, we be all night. Oh, wow. So that's, that, that's like... It's kind of Shakespearean. It's, it's very right. Shakespearean. Yeah. Yeah. A- <laughs> and th- there's one song called uh, Run the World. Yeah. Girls. And this is a big Beyonce song. The lyrics are, girls, we run this mother, yeah, 
who run the world girls. And then they just repeat that like a million times. And that's about 70% of the well, you know, song. Your girls aren't very bright. You got to keep it simple. I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, run the, that's exactly right. Yeah. Girls. Go, yeah. And, uh, th- you know, that song uh, took six writers and four producers to make. No, come on. Yes. And uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. Wait, did, by, did he, each, was each writer assigned a word? Is that, that? <laughs> yeah, a syllable, I think. <laughs> then if you look at uh, Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen, you know, a song from 30 years ago. One writer, one producer. Yeah. Magnificent popular music. Uh, one, one writer wrote Tosca, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, yeah. So it, it really, it, it was interesting. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not happy that you made me suffer through this awful thing in Coachella, but I, I, it was quite interesting because Coachella is relatively conservative. It's totally corporate. It's not indie at all. It's run by a major conservative donor, and uh, the whole tenor of it was basically patriotic and fine. Also, relatively is a relative term, and we should weep for this culture because the the culture, it is relatively conservative, but the culture is so, so terrible. And this is the cultural event of the year. Uh, It is sad. That that is sad. And reading reading those lyrics, I'm I'm sorry. I mean, really, we can do better. Cole Porter lived in this country once, you know? You be Blake. (laughs) Anyway, all right. Well, what's going to be on your show today? So today we're going to be talking about the Great Revolt. I'm talking to Selena Zito about her new book and about whether this Trump thing was just a blip and it's just his personality or if it really reflects something about the culture and how he'll do in 2020, how the, his movement will do in 2024. And this actually does tie in with Coachella because, you know, we all say Beyonce is this great, amazing queen and it's all wonderful and all this, but nobody believes that. I don't think any, uh, some people, very few people believe that, but we have to say it. That is the politically correct huh. cultural narrative. Every newspaper headline has to read that. But I think we don't believe it. And I think when we're in the privacy of that voting booth, we're going to, we're not going to vote for the things that we tell public opinion pollsters or that go on TV or any of that. I think there's this big gap between what we say the pop culture is, and kind of the beating heart of America. And so we're going to be talking about that with Selena and, and hopefully see if uh, President Kofefe can get another four <laughs> years to bring world peace around. You know, there's such a thing called, I think that's a really good insight, and there's such a thing called blue lies. And blue lies are like, you know, they have white lies. Blue lies are lies that you tell that you know aren't true, but everyone around you says, yeah, yeah. You know, like Colin Kaepernick talking about the mass incarceration of black people in America, and all the right. people around him go, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, even they don't believe it. And I think you're, you're absolutely right. All right, Michael Knowles, if you have time this week, uh, let's get together for a stogie. Because, let's do it. Uh, yeah, I'm coming to... down from my peyote trip from Coachella <laughs> now, so I should be ready to have a cigar around Thursday or Friday. You got it. All right. It's good to see you. Thanks a lot. All right. We got to talk a little bit about this shooting in Nashville. You know, I've been to the Waffle House a number of times, and uh, for some reason, I don't know why this is, but for some reason, Waffle Houses in the South, because we've been to, I've been to a couple of them. I like waffles for one thing, and I like these waffles. They're associated with Christianity. I don't, I don't know why this is, but like you see big signs that'll just have a, a big quote uh, from the gospel, and then it'll say, "Come to the Waffle House." And this one is like that. It was one of the really uh, f- most fun restaurants in Nashville, and some clown walked in there and uh, and shot some people. And um, you know, obviously, the usual stuff is happening where people are, um, you know, calling for gun control. What's really interesting, we we should just hear just for a minute from the guy, James Shaw, young man who wrestled the gun away from the guy. And he said he's not a hero. He's just trying not to get killed. But it sounded pretty brave to me. Let's just hear from him. He took the gun away from the shooter. 
I actually went behind this like a push door, a uh, swivel door, and uh, he shot through that door, I'm pretty sure, and I'm pretty sure he grazed my arm. And it was at that time that I kind of made up my mind because there's no way to lock that door. Um, that if it was going to come down to it, he was going to have to work to work to kill me. So at the time that he was either reloading or the gun jammed or whatever happened is when I ran through the, the swivel door. I hit him with the swivel door and then the, the gun was kind of jammed up and it was pushed down. So we were scuffling and uh, I managed to get him with one hand on the gun and then I grabbed it from him and I threw it over the countertop and then after that I was trying to get out the door and I think he was pretty much in the entrance way so I just took him out with me out of the entrance and all the way outside. As a, as a, you know I just love we know there are bad guys but it's always good to remember there are good guys just the fact that he took the gun away from them and threw it away he didn't blow him you know he didn't shoot him with it he burned his hand grabbing the hot barrel of the gun a bu one bullet went off it seems to have grazed his arm uh, very courageous stuff the mayor of Nashville is calling for confiscations of guns and just kind of babbling about gun control and all this stuff but newly discovered statistics from the Centers for Disease Control CDC I'm taking this right off our site the Daily Wire, uh, Centers for Disease Control that were never released to the public strengthen the argument for guns and blow a hole in the gun control narrative. The statistics show that guns are used in a defensive manner against crimes far more than they are used by criminals to commit crimes. A new report from Florida State University criminologist Gary Kleck shows that recently unearthed surveys from the CDC, which were never made public, show that Americans use guns in millions of defense scenarios every year on average. Kleck's study, which has been harshly disputed in pro-gun control quarters, indicated that there were more than 2.2 million such defensive uses of guns, so called DGUs, defensive gun use, in America. But now Kleck says that the CDC backed him up, but they never reported what they found. I wonder why not, you know? It, and, and people were saying on Twitter, I mean, you know, everybody's on Twitter, so you get a couple of people with maybe the IQ of a mushroom, but they said, well, you know, we, that just proves this guy grabbed the gun with his bare hand, so that proves you don't need a good guy with a gun to stop a bad guy with a gun. You think like, I, did those words come out of your mouth? I mean, what's, like, what's wrong with you? It's like, yeah, all we need is guys willing to grab the hot barrel of a gun and take a bullet to the arm, and we'll be fine. You know, it's just nuts, nuts. But the CDC apparently really did a, a good study, a very solid study in the 90s, showing that people use guns for self-defense. Of course, what do you think they use them for? All right, our crappy culture. So Knowles mentioned this. He, know, he mentioned uh, Kanye West, and we, and we were talking about blue lies. Blue lies comes from things that the police say, apparently, but it, these are the lies we tell to fit in with our crowd, you know, uh, that, that we know aren't true or that we feel if we ever really examined it in our hearts aren't true. It's like when you see the news organizations selling this Starbucks story, the guys being thrown out of Starbucks as a racial incident without, for one minute, just questioning their imagination whether... That, you know, that even makes sense for it to be a racial story, but they know they're going to get praise all around them. And this is how groupthink starts and how, how people start to get radicalized and say stupid things because they're getting the approval of their peers all around them. So over the weekend, Kanye West 
gave approval to Candace Owens. Now, we on this show, we discover all the stars. We had Candace here at the very, very beginning. I just had her on because she's so incredibly beautiful. I, you know, I didn't care what she was saying. No, <laughs> she is incredibly beautiful. But but we, we had her. We had Jordan Peterson on when he had like 600 hits on YouTube. We really have been ahead of the curve. So th- this is a good sample of what Candace Owens says about the way the left treats black people. The truth is that the left wants to strap black people to this idea that they are victims. That's what it comes down to. They do not want black people focused on their futures. They want black people focused on their past. They like black people to be government dependent. They don't like to see black people that are free thinkers and are independent. And I think that's what Kanye West and myself represents the black community. And that makes them very nervous. Now, Kanye West, and I'm not going to send any love Kanye's way. He's a guy who supports people like Farrakhan. He's He's a kook, you know, he's a kooky artist type, like artists sometimes create good stuff, but that doesn't mean you have to listen to what they say. But he tweeted out, I love the way Candace Owens thinks. And immediately people said, Kanye West is supporting far right activists. Nothing far right about Candace. I mean, there's this utterly ridiculous. She's just a conservative who happens to have brown skin. That makes her far right. They have to scare you into thinking there's something wrong with her. All she is saying is your life will be better if you don't treat yourself like a victim and you're not doing anybody a favor when you treat them like a victim. She's talking absolute common sense. So compare her because she just she uh, and Kanye West stood his ground after all this. Compare them to, to uh, Shania Twain. It had a great run back in what was it? I guess the 2000s. Had a really big hit, uh, really big country superstar. And she recently said in an interview with the Guardian, the left wing British paper, "I would have voted for Donald Trump because even though he was offensive, he seemed honest." And they just went on and they hammered her, and she finally had to apologize. She said, "I, w- I would like to apologize to anybody for having an opinion." You know, <laughs> no, she didn't say this. I've off- if I've offended anybody in a recent interview with the Guardian related to the American president, the question caught me off guard. As a Canadian, I regret answering this unexpected question without giving my response more context. You know, when I talk about how uh, catchphrases make us stupid, surrounding ourselves with people who agree with us, people apologizing when they get attacked, all this stuff helps to make our culture more stupid. If, If you have an opinion you know, stand up for your opinion, stand up for, you know, all you were saying is you would have voted for him. You liked him because he was an honest guy. He was straightforward. You know, he, he was he had more appeal to you than Hillary Clinton. You don't have to apologize for that. And by browbeating people into apologizing, you make yourself stupid because you create the impression that they actually agree with you when they actually do not. Obviously, this was Shania Twain's real opinion. Obviously, it was Kanye West's real opinion. You don't like it. Say you don't like it, but this bullying of people, this Twitter uh, ganging, what do they call it, Twitter ganging or something like that, Uh, uh, Twitter attacking people into uh, pretending to change their minds simply confirms you in your blue lies instead of listening to starting to listen to, to the fact that other people disagree with you, which might broaden your sense of the world. All right, we've got Jonah Goldberg tomorrow. I've actually read his book. They sent it to me early enough, so I got to read every single word of his book. Great writer. Really love talking to him. Be here for that. I'm Andrew Clavin. This is The Andrew Clavin Show. The Andrew Clavin Show is produced by Robert Sterling. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Technical producer, Austin Stevens. Edited by Alex Zingaro. Audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. And our animations are by Cynthia Angulo and Jacob Jackson. The Andrew Claven Show is a Daily Wire forward publishing production. Copyright forward publishing 2018.